We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. He's a longtime voice of, you know, Indiana sports, I guess the best way to put it. Uh, has a great show with Jay Query. You guys can check that out on iscsports.net. I, uh, Indiana Business Journal as well, Indy Monthly. It's the one and only Derek Schultz. Derek, what's going on, man? Wow, the one and only? I still get one of those? That's nice. Yeah, Thanks we, for saying that. I, I, that's my go-to <laughs> for everybody, so I just want to make sure yeah, everybody okay. feels <laughs> special. But you are the only Derek Schultz that I know, so that is definitely true, true there. So, uh a lot of stuff going on right now for the Pacers. It's been a very busy offseason. I don't want to like pick one direction to start. I want you to pick because I feel like there's so many interesting storylines. So if there's one thing maybe that stuck out to you that you're like, I've really liked this move or I really like what I've seen from this, uh, go ahead and just talk about that first. Yeah, I, I guess what I would say about this offseason is I'm like weirdly kind of disappointed, but also like understanding in in the sense that I think I feel the same way that Kevin Pritchard does. I think he went into this and I had this same line of thought. And I don't know if you guys did as well. You could tell me if you did that, like a big swing was coming, like some, something like major was going to happen here, like a a big move on draft night or something like that. Um, And it felt like they were building towards that. And I, and I just don't think that they, they took a couple of swings, but I don't. I don't really think that they got the pitch that they really wanted to hit, and and but that's okay because I think you guys would agree they got better. They they addressed areas that they needed to address. I think the biggest one for me was wing defense, and here's Jarris Walker, and and boom, you you feel like you can kind of plug him in from day one, even if he's not a starter, he'll have a major role in being able to step out and defend because he's already got an NBA body and it looks like he's he's prepared to play, at least on that end, whereas the offensive end still needs a little bit of polish. But I love the fact that you flip a position of strength 
in your backcourt in Chris Duarte for a position of weakness in your frontcourt at the four with Obi Toppin, because that's essentially what that trade ended up being with two twos kind of changing hands. But essentially for the Pacers, it, it flushed out to being Duarte for Obi Toppin, which I, I, I like that deal. Um, taking a flyer on him, maybe there is something to unlock in an up-tempo offense and playing alongside Tyrese Halliburton that Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks, it, it always felt like a really weird fit for him out there. Um, and it never really felt like that he was given a chance. Um, Ben Shepard, you know, in the second summer league game, I, I think showed you some of what it really intrigued the Pacers. Even if he doesn't have a prominent role for 23, 24, uh, I, I think that he's a guy that, that you want to look out for, uh, for the future as well. And I think just the, the after effects of, of last year and the progress and individual improvement that we saw from Aaron Neesmith and Jordan Wara and, and Jalen Smith. And, you know, the, the Pacers have all these guys that are still building towards becoming better basketball players. And I, I think there's just naturally some excitement in some of those those holdovers. Um, but overall, the roster is better. The moves that they made make sense. It's just with where we sit today, um, you know, three, four weeks ago, I really thought that the big trade was coming and it, it just never felt like uh, that that really ended up happening for them. But that's not their fault. You can't codger up stuff out of, uh, out of out of thin air. I think the Pacers did a good job with with what they had. You know, it always feels like there's like a specific tagline from the front office. It used to be, you know, we're going to be a tough out. This year, it feels like it takes two to tango. And yeah. we, we keep hearing that. And I do think that the Pacers tried to make bigger moves, whether it was trades for you know an OG or maybe we heard DeAndre Hunter now we're hearing Pascal Siakam it feels like there's been bigger names tossed around and you keep hearing the Pacers are interested but they haven't been able to pull off that big fish maybe that that home run that slam dunk type trade but they are making smart moves you mentioned Obi Toppin Bruce Brown they drafted well they're keeping the books very clean to be able to make that future move after the moves of that I mentioned, Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin, Jarris Walker, Ben Shepard, you bring those players in. How much better do you think it makes the Pacers? Do you think now we're talking play-in category, or do you think we could make that push for potentially about the sixth seed or so? Yeah, I'm not shut off to the idea, Fauci, that they could just make the top six, honestly. Now, it, it's difficult to say because you can't look at just the Pacers in a vacuum. There's all these other teams that got better or some got worse. And and I, I think what's interesting about the East right now is that most of the conference is, is going for it, right? Uh, or, or at least not, not going for it, like actively mm -hmm. trying to kind of fade back. So I think the Pacers are, are in a, an interesting position as far as that is concerned. And, you know, something else that, I think from this offseason, and, and it makes it a win, and it, it's something that we're like, oh, yeah, and this happened, but Alex and I talked about it the other day. The, the fact that your franchise player is under contract for the next six years is a really big deal uh, because the Pacers haven't had that sort of stability uh, with their franchise player in a long time because either, A, they haven't had one, or, B, they've had one, and there's always been, yeah, but... We don't know what's going to happen with the future of this guy. So I think just having the stability of, of the Tyrese Halliburton uh, long-term extension certainly helps things. But just forecasting who they are for next year, you can do this with every team where you take out, yeah, well, if they had a bad six-week stretch, take that out. But honestly, if you go from who they were November to basically the holidays, New Year around then, and then you take – maybe the, the end portion of the season and, and you take out that stretch where they lost, I think 15 of 18, that was a pretty good basket. At the very least, it was a competent basketball team. Um, I, I really think that they're a little bit better 
than what their records said that they were last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that looked like a better basketball team than sometimes the results at the end of the night ended up spitting out. So that that's kind of what also gives me hope about building upon last year. I looked at last year as a, as a huge success. Now, I was very, very low on the Pacers going into last year. So maybe that depends on what your expectations were. But um, I still think the arrow is pointing straight up. So play in, sure. Um, but I'm not shut off to the idea that they could they could even secure one of the top six seeds um, in the Eastern Conference as well. Now, they would need a lot of things to go right for that to happen. But uh, again, I, I'm not shut off to that possibility. And we can't ignore that the Pacers front office and coaching staff was preaching you know, be patient. This is going to be a long rebuild. It's not going to be some quick turnaround. And then they exceeded expectations last year by having success earlier on than I think they realized that they were going to have. And so a lot of different variables played out to you, especially the Miles Turner drama that all played out last year, because I think the Pacers front office was under the impression he was going to leave and they were going to trade him before the deadline. Yeah. And then when they saw how well he played with Halliburton, I think it kind of opened up his idea or opened up his mind to the idea of being here a little bit longer but it was only for a two-year extension, so it's not like he's locked in long-term. I think one thing I go back to, though, Derek, with when we talked to Chad Buchanan in May before the draft process all started happening, really, um, he basically told us, you know, we'll do what com- we'll do what is best for us in the offseason based on what's available to us. And I think at this point with the new CBA that just they got all that stuff like one day before the, the draft or it was a one day before free agency kicked in, there was just so much going on. I think that the new CBA did kind of maybe scare teams a little bit for making some drastic, dramatic trades. And, of course, the Damian Lillard, James Harden stuff could have also put a little bit of a hold on it as well. So I think the Pacers being linked to Pascal Siakam recently does make me feel like, okay, they're still not satisfied with the roster they've currently constructed. They want to continue to get better, better this roster around Tyrese Halliburton. But if you look at the contract they signed to Bruce, uh, Bruce Brown to, that – team option next year as well as Daniel Tice has a team option uh in next offseason McConnell's got a, a partial guarantee Neesmith Obi Toppin will be restricted free agents uh Jordan Moore is going to be a free agent you have all this potential money that you could have available for you to still go out and be players in free agency and you didn't you know put some major you know gr- uh grip on what's going to happen next offseason by investing all this money long term so I just felt like the Pacers did a really nice job of, hey, you know what? We're going to get some good players to help us now, but at the same time, we're not going to get ourselves backed up into this corner where we owe all this money and we can still be a little bit more flexible next offseason. And I think that Bruce Brown contract, if he works out, great, but if not, that's super tradable. And I think there's going to be a lot of teams that have a lot of interest in him. Yeah, they they have probably the cleanest books in the league, right? Mm-hmm. When you yeah. look at, you know, do they really have a bad contract or what you would consider a bad contract? I, I don't really think that they do. And it's not only that, uh, you know, Alex, you bring up a great point about the flexibility there, but they also have some pieces to play with if they choose to do so. Um, you know, obviously the, the one that we're all kind of keeping an eye on is what's going to happen with Buddy Heald going into a contract year. You know, at 30 years old, is that a guy that's going to line up with the rest of your core? Because we've kind of seen the Pacers in the past, and Kevin Pritchard has done this in the past, line up some of the ages of the core pieces, and and currently that's not really in line. The the, the thing is, though, Buddy Heald is a, a really good basketball player and a fantastic teammate. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a, a big reason why that locker room was so cohesive last year with all of those young players, because he he really is a, a beloved piece there. So, you know, I'm not making it seem like it's easy to part with Buddy Heald, but I, I do think um, that the Pacers are still listening 
um, when it comes to those things. And and before the trade deadline, maybe that's the spot for them. So m- maybe it wasn't this offseason. Maybe it's January, February that we're talking about the Pacers being in a spot where they'll get a, a pitch to hit, as I mentioned earlier. You know, Tyrese Halliburton, we heard from Bruce Brown, was that Bruce Brown said, hey, he was recruited by Tyrese Halliburton. We know that Tyrese Halliburton is going to be with Team USA uh, for the FIBA. You know, do we feel like Halliburton can be the guy that makes the change to make the Pacers a more appealing destination in free agency? As you know, that's been a struggle for us for quite some time. Yeah, because I, I think Tyrese Halliburton is the kind of guy that makes everybody around him better. And and guys want to play with with somebody like that. You know, I, that's not I, – I don't think – Will guys do guys want to play with Tyrese Halliburton? I don't think that's the question at all, Vachi. I, I think the, the answer to that is an emphatic yes. Um, I think the question with Tyrese Halliburton is, you know, we've seen now this shift in the NBA where it's gone from being this dynasty super team league to, hey, Milwaukee's got a title now. Hey, Denver just won one, right? But those guys have had the best player in the world <laughs> when they've won that title. So I, I think the big question for me is, how high is the ceiling going to be for Tyrese? And, and I, I think we're going to get a glimpse of that this year as now he's entering, I, I think, what are going to be some of his prime years, and that's going to be a long prime. But, you know, where where can he go with this? Because that that's an area where the Pacers have just always kind of been tapped out. Um, you know, Jermaine O'Neal was a great player. Jermaine O'Neal had his absolute peak, I, th- I think finished third in the MVP, but for an extended period was, was like a, a fringe top 10 player in the NBA, right? Paul George was like a fringe top 10 player, I think, at his best, maybe like one of the seven or eight best players in the NBA. Um, Reggie Miller, for as good as he was, I don't think ever reached that level, Um, maybe in the playoffs, but, you know, just over the course of a couple of seasons, I don't know if you'd ever say that Reggie Miller was one of the nine or 10 best players in the league, and he was one of their franchise guys and and the best player in, in franchise history, so... You know, can Tyrese Halliburton elevate past that and 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 be a top five, a top five, six level NBA player? I think that's my my big question. But I'm excited about the Pacers' ability to be attractive. They're they're never going to have what Miami has, what LA has. Um, you know, even in to an extent, what Chicago and New York have. You know, the big mega markets, happening cities. I love Indy, but it's it's never going to have that. But it can have a guy that is easy to play with, is fun to play with, and makes everybody around him better. And and I think that they have that in Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, and the great thing about Tyrese is he seems so invested in this city. And yeah. you know, I told you on the radio. I mean, I talked about him this podcast too. Like, I got emotional just watching him talk about this franchise. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm crying like big crocodile tears. But it was just like, yeah, I was like, wow, this is really nice to hear somebody say this. And it's just like, man, we finally got our guy. And so. Looking at the rest of this core, and especially the young guys I've drafted, like Jairus Walker, yeah, it's only two games of Summer League, but he's really, you know, popped in those two games. You can kind of see how he could fit in in the NBA. And then you look at last year's rookie class, Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nimhard, and I'm I'm really torn on who I like better between the two because I feel like while Benedict's ceiling is clearly higher than Andrew Nimhard's, I just feel like Nimhard's got so much more of a well-rounded game compared to Matherin. And to me, it's really hard to put any three of them in a trade at this point so early in their careers because that's what it might take is putting one of those three in a trade to go out there and get that missing piece that you need potentially probably at that three position, maybe the four, but I would say more the three. Where do you rank those three players right there, Walker, Matherin, and Nimhart, in terms of their importance to this franchise moving forward? 
Yeah, that great question. Um, I think I, I still have to lean towards ceiling, so that would lead yeah. me to make Matherin one, just mm. because I think he has the most star potential of that group. But if you're just talking like X factor important piece, um, I'm a gigantic Andrew Nemhard Homer too. So yeah. I'm I'm completely with you there. Like to me, I I don't know if he's ever going to be a star. But I see like almost like an upgraded version of George Hill, where he's just a, a really good NBA player, reliable for 15 years. Like that, that's kind of how I see um his career playing out. Jarris Walker, it, it's almost too early for me. And I, you know, I'm talking about one-year players, like I know exactly who they're gonna be. So this is gonna sound like a cop on the question, but you know, only having two summer league games, it, it almost feels like I'm 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 still trying to figure it out. I think we all kind of are. Um I think his his skill set is obvious. His potential is obvious. His fit is the most obvious thing about him of, of all. Um, another guy that I'm not sure if he's ever going to be a star, but he's a, a really good piece, a good core piece to have because of what he brings to the table physically as an athlete and, and as a defender. Um, and you really need guys like that. So uh, you know, gun to my head, the, the, the rankings wise, I'd say Matherin a clear one just because he has the most star potential. I'd probably put Nemhard too, just because we have more of a sample size to go on right now. But I, I think there's a chance that Walker could go in, in front of him. But I think all three of those guys can be critically important pieces to a hopefully, uh, if not a championship core, then at least a, a contending core for the Pacers. Yeah, I definitely agree. They're building something special here, especially with the youth all you know, being on those cheap contracts right now, this is kind of that time to start to go for it a bit more instead of you know waiting another year or two because obviously Halliburton's max contract will kick in after this upcoming season. So you know you'll have room to sign maybe one more max guy while you still have Turner there. This is their window over the next two or three years to really make some noise. But, but you know, talking about Nemhart. You know, obviously, he's a guy who started, I believe it was in like 63 games or so. It was over 60. But obviously, the Pacers bring in Bruce Brown. Now, do you view Bruce Brown, while being the highest paid player on the Pacers, as a starter for the Pacers over Nimhard? Or, you know, how do you see that? Carlisle could like familiarity keeping Nimhard in that starting lineup, but I think it really could go either way. Yeah, I think they're going to have to feel that out and see what works. I think that the default for me, just because of the, the contract that you signed him to, I am under the assumption that Bruce Brown Jr. is going to start, um, at least initially. And maybe they'll end up changing that out a little bit. But you're right. It, it's 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 difficult right now. Like, you know who the starting five is going to be. You know who the starting one is going to be. And then kind of filling in the rest of the spots, you're kind of like, eh, I'm not really entirely sure what the Pacers are going to do here. Um, yeah, I, I think Brown would start and then you would take – Initially here, Nemhard to me is kind of like six man of the year type caliber player. And I think he can grow into a little bit more than that. Um, but I, I kind of like him with the second unit, even though he did a nice job as a starter last year. I agree. Um, I, I think that's where you roll with it. But, you know, then what do you do with Heald and what do you do with Matherin? Does Matherin come off the bench? And, um, you know, again, we go back to the Walker situation. Is he going to start? Is is Obi going to start? Um there are a lot of questions still left to be answered there. I, I really, 
I wish I had a better take for that because I, I just don't know. Um, but I, I do think that Rick Carlisle and this coaching staff will will feel that out and play a couple of combinations and and figure out where they want to go from there. But I, I do think initially that Bruce Brown Jr. is going to be your starter on, on opening night. Yeah, I've been pushing back against that a little bit. Fachi said the same thing about the, the contract that he got. He's got to be the starter. And I said, I just think Nimhart is such a Carlisle guy. And uh. the fact that he was so good defensively last year as a rookie – you're still trying to invest in this young core. Bruce Brown's only under contract for one year. And I think that that could also think long-term, like what's the bigger picture here. But I also liked what Bruce Brown said when he said, I'm okay with coming off the bench. I don't have to start. We saw him come off the bench and thrive in that role. And I also think that he could still close games. He could play more minutes than Emart, even if he doesn't start. Because I think at this point, at the end of the day, there's just such a log jam with this backcourt yeah, it just feels like T.J. McConnell might be on the outside looking in, and that doesn't necessarily feel like what we've seen in the past years. Because even when we did think he was going to be that third string point guard the first year he was here under McMillan, he ended up taking Aaron Holiday's spot as that backup point guard. So you know McConnell's a hard guy to keep off the floor, but I think at the same time, if you're looking at overall ceiling and what this team wants to do, I think Nimhard gives you more than than what McConnell does, especially with his ability to defend more than just one position because McConnell is a little bit smaller. So I'm curious your thoughts on McConnell, maybe his, you know, role this year with the team. And do you think maybe he's a guy that could be on the move? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think part of that could also be, you know, kind of TJ seeing the lay of the land too. Um, you know, he's he's 31 years old now. Um and he wants to play. <laughs> you know, he he doesn't want to go somewhere to be the third point guard. Yeah. Um, and get five or six minutes a night. So I, I do wonder that if when this rotation kind of settles when they're in camp and in the preseason, if, you know, maybe that discussion is had between TJ McConnell, if, if that's how it plays out. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm TJ McConnell's been proving people wrong his entire career. Right. And, and we've always been like, yeah, TJ McConnell's like your fourth guy. And then he ends up your third guy. And then suddenly he ends up your second guy. And you're like, how did this happen? <laughs> um, so, you know, who, who knows? But yeah, I, I have the same inkling um that you do one quick story that i always tell i went i went to miles turner's draft workout was the same as frank kaminsky and those are the two guys that were linked to the pacers in 2015 but also there is this short white kid that is i went to that workout I've, i very rarely have gone to pacers draft workouts and i went because i thought okay well they're going to take kaminsky or, or turner so i'm going to go and there's this kid sitting in the corner and i'm like is he like one of the trainers helpers or ball boys or whatever and it was tj mcconnell and he was at the draft workout and I'm like, this guy, like he's, he's, you're going to draft, he's going to in the draft, you know, and I didn't even think anything of it. And of course, you know, he ends up going right undrafted and then he carves out this terrific NBA career. So it, it just kind of, that's my favorite TJ McConnell thing, because you look at him and you say, no way, like this guy's not going to make millions of dollars as an NBA player. And, and here he is. I mean, you know, and anything that he does from right now is, is pretty much gravy, but he can help a team somewhere i i just don't see him i don't see his role for the, for this team I, I just there's no room at the end we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He is too good to not be playing. Yeah, I and agree. I do, there's so many playoff teams that he could help right away, and you just feel like the Pacers would have too much respect to just have him ride the bench. But another spot that there's a little bit of a log jam, center. I mean, between Miles Turner, uh, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, Daniel Tice, it's a, it's a lot. And the Pacers could use another roster spot. Last year they had James Johnson, they had George Hill, great veterans. Do you see them you know, looking to move Tice just to kind of open up a roster spot, or is it it would be more valuable to hold that contract to the trade deadline when it's an expiring deal and, and you could probably get a little bit more value than right now when people are, you know, kind of filling up their rosters? Yeah, I think they'll read and react to that situation. And if something pops up where they can, I, I, I don't think that they're shut off to moving Tice at all. I think they'd probably like to do that um, if that opportunity came up. But I, I think to me, Fachi, this, the center position, and, and Alex and I kind of talked about this last week on, on the radio, um, it all really kind of hinges on what Isaiah Jackson is going to be in year three. You know, is, is he going to... Is the light bulb going to turn on for him and, you know, the foul trouble going to go away and he's going to be able to stay on the floor and and develop an offensive game outside of two centimeters away from the basket? You know, is he going to be able to do that? Because if he is, then I think you feel really good about him being one of your backup bigs and, and one of your rotation guys. But if he's still held back or if there, there's just it, it's not happening for him, then I, I think that throws that position um, a, a little bit into turmoil. Look, you know what you're going to get from Turner. Um, Jalen Smith is a, is, a, is a good, reliable NBA player who's who, who did a, a good job with the Pacers giving him an extended look, far more of the look than he got in Phoenix. Um, but to me, that all kind of – the potential of that spot all kind of hinges on if Jackson – you know, I, I'm not even going to say make a leap, but if, if Isaiah Jackson proves him to be worthy of a consistent role on this team, I, I think that's a win for the Pacers. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do because Isaiah Jackson, I felt like he showed some good flashes in summer league, but for a year three big, the amount of foul trouble he got into, 14 fouls in two games is very problematic to me. I mean, just the fact that he always leaves his feet to try to block shots when he doesn't really need to, it's something that he should, I feel like, be a little bit more self-disciplined in in year three already, especially in summer league because it's like some of this stuff, like, yeah, guy, there's good players in summer league, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, you didn't see Jairus Walker making those same mistakes and he's a rookie. So it's like, there's just little things I think that he's got to, got to work on to really solidify himself. But I'm not so sure the Pacers are, you know, counting Tice out completely because there's a world I can see them trying him out at the backup center because he's a veteran. I think he's probably your best shooter out of the three backups behind miles, especially from three. Uh, if you're playing him next to Jairus, it could be nice to have someone that's a little bit more of a veteran presence out there with him. If Jairus doesn't start, I, I think he's not going to be a guy that gets in the way and is trying to prove himself. He knows who he is. He's a solid pro. Was really professional the entire time last year, just being with the team when he was told he wasn't going to play. I mean, are you at all a little bit 
interested in seeing what Daniel Tice could be as a backup center behind Miles Turner, uh, even though you do have Jalen and Isaiah, because I think he does probably help them win more games just because he's a little bit more solidified in his uh, role in his career. Yeah, sure. I, I I think this kind of goes back to the conversation about, you know, figuring out what works and what doesn't work. They're, they're going to go through certain combinations. They're going to, I think, give some guys some run to see what they've got and how they fit. And, and I think Tice is, is in that. I don't think he's at the front of the line um, mm. when it, when it comes to the players that they really want to kind of take a look at and evaluate, but yeah, sure. I, I don't think they're, I keep saying shut off to the idea. Um, you know, <laughs> the possibilities are endless for the 23, yes. 24 Pacers, right? <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm, I'm open to all ideas um, with, with what they could do and, and lineup combinations and potential and, and everything else. So yeah, sure. Um, I, I, I do think that potentially um, they might want to give Tice a look to see there, but I, I, I still think the key to that whole situation is what Jackson's going to be. And, and maybe they already have seen something from these, these summer league games, um, you know, I, I think they'll give them a camp to figure it out um, and and then kind of go from there. But I think there will be a lot of roles and minutes and and spots fits kind of up for grabs um, when we get into October and, and early November. Yeah, and speaking of summer league, I mean, one guy that we saw, you know, back in summer league, Benedict Matherin, um, it hasn't been reported if this is the end of him in summer league probably is because I believe Andrew Nemhard and Isaiah Jackson has reported that they won't be playing any more games. Matherin first game, 27 points, does it on nine of 21 shooting second game, 17 points on four of 16 shooting, but the six assists was, I think the most that I've seen out of him. So you got a, a little bit of both the rough shooting, but the good passing, you know, what are you thinking about for Matherin going into year two when there is more talent on this team? They did add Obi Toppin, who is more known for offense. You did add Bruce Brown. You got the rookies in there. So still just one ball to go around. What can we really expect out of Benedict Matherin in year two? I hope less pressure um, now that he's got a year under his belt and and now that he has some some more help uh, where he doesn't feel like it all has to be on his shoulders to to just cook every single night. Um, you know, that that's what he's really good at doing. So I don't yes. want him to stop doing that <laughs> on the offensive end. But, you know, hopefully he won't kind of put it upon himself to, uh, you know, four shots or, or, or do anything like that. Kind of let the offense come to him um, a little bit more. Uh, I, I just think for, for Ben Matherin, I, I mean, I'm pretty convinced that he's going to be a, a very good NBA player. I, I think it's just about getting more experience and, and getting more of that seasoning, um, as you will, as he grows and develops. There's not really like a, uh, a a red alert and alarm bell going off for me about, you know, we just talked about Isaiah Jackson. There are lots of red flags with Isaiah Jackson's yeah. game where you're like, well, you know, if he doesn't figure this out then or, or you're, you're thinking maybe he never figures this out. Whereas with Ben Matherin, I'm, that there really aren't any areas that I'm supremely concerned about with him moving forward. Um, I think already he's a very good NBA player and I think he's just going to continue on that trajectory in year two. Yeah, I think for me with Ben Matherin, like I'm not even worried as much about the passing as a lot of people are yeah. because I think there's going to be enough playmaking on this team without him being that kind of guy. But I do think he's going to have to become a better three-point shooter because the low 30s is not going to be a a good enough percentage for him to really get significant minutes and, and grow as a player if he can't hit those shots. And I also think the biggest one is defense because if you watch that first quarter of that game against the Wizards in Summer League, he was getting in the in the shorts of Johnny Davis. But by the end of that first quarter, going into the second quarter, 
he went back to his old ways where he was kind of getting tired and wasn't like fighting through screens as hard as he should. And like the screen navigation just wasn't there and miscommunications with, you know, the pick and roll coverage and pick and pop coverage. So I just feel like that's an area he's going to have to really improve upon. But one player that I think has kind of been left out of a lot of conversations because of all the additions is a guy last year that really popped for this team when he was put into the starting lineup. And that's Aaron Neesmith. I feel like this is a guy that could be an X factor for this team still, especially in a much uh, minor role compared to what he had this year. I just feel like Aaron Neesmith is a guy that makes a lot of sense for what this team is trying to do. The up-tempo pace are trying to play the, the shooting improved last year. Once he was put in that starting lineup, what are your thoughts on, on Neesmith with this team overall? And if he is going to get a contract next year, what do you think is a fair price for a guy like that? Who's more of a, of a backup kind of seventh, eighth man on a team. Yeah. Great question. Um, Parting thought, just real quick on on Matherin too. Mm -hmm. What I mean by alarm bells is that I don't think any of those, all those areas are room for improvement for sure. I mean, he's a young mm -hmm. player, right? What I meant was I don't think that any of those areas can't get better. You know, yeah. like th there are some guys where you're like, yeah, he is who he is. That's that's not changing. And I think Matherin can be a more capable three-point shooter, can be a more capable defender. And I think a lot of that will come with time. With Neesmith, I, I think what will be great for him is not forcing him to play out of position anymore and guard guys that he can't guard. Um, you know, now with adding some more bodies at the four and you've got Obi Toppin there now and, and Jairus Walker there now, I, I think now you can kind of um, move Neesmith around better and, and not kind of make him um, square peg round hole, which I, I think at times, unfortunately for him, um, he was. Uh, I think he can be a, a key rotational piece for them moving forward. I mean, he is the, the classic example of a guy that you take a flyer on because somebody else gave up on him and, and you find something that works for you and fits for you. And, and that's what's happened here. You know, and the Pacers have done that with a lot of different guys. You know, Jalen Smith is, is another one who, who is on that list. Um, I think he brings a lot of value to, to the table, his ability as a shooter. I, you know, I, I really like Aaron Neesmith's game. Um, you know, the price stuff for me, guys, I, I don't know if it was just for you guys too with free agency and with the cap going way up. Like, I think we need to kind of recalibrate what mm -hmm. <laughs> what our expectations are. Yes. Um, I, I think most capable NBA starters pretty soon here, you're going to be talking about them baseline making $20 million. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just, that's going to be normal. So somebody like Neesmith, um, you know, on a, on a shorter deal, I, I think, you know, 12, 13 million dollars something like that i mean hell you know the, you know players like emmanuel quickly and and people like that they're talking about getting a hundred million dollar contract so you know there, there are certain guys where you're like really that much but um that's just kind of this whole recalibration with the cap shooting up and you know everything's cooking right now in the nba so the money is flowing i mean it really is we saw fred van vliet get paid like an absolute star and, and jeremy grant the same thing <laughs> the money that was being tossed around was just, I mean, they talked about Dylan Brooks potentially being out of the league. He gets $20 million a year. So mm -hmm. it's it just, it is being tossed around. But Buddy Heald, someone we, we touched on earlier, the chemistry that he has with Tyrese Halliburton is undeniable. But it very much feels like going into a con contract year where the team's at with, you know, Benedict Matherin, additions of Bruce Brown. You already got Andrew Nemhard, who was in the starting lineup. It feels like Buddy's going to have to accept a bench role. Or, you know, maybe maybe he could be moved. Do you see Buddy Heald finishing out this contract with the Pacers? Or is it the scenario where, hey, you can't really let a guy walk and leave for nothing. So, you know, it could be someone that's that's probably dealt 
either, you know, this offseason or at the trade deadline. Yeah, I, I lean towards the latter just because as bullish as I am on the Pacers making the playoffs and potentially even stay, staying out of the play-in round, um, I, I think we'd all agree that this isn't a team that's going to contend for a championship. So if you're not going to contend for a championship, then there's no reason to have the mindset that, well, you have to keep Buddy healed. No, you you don't. Um, you don't have to keep a 30-year-old on an expiring deal. Um, that that's you, you do if you're a championship team and you're thinking about contending and he's a key piece. But if that's not your mindset, and it, it certainly is not going to be – Kevin Pritchard might not ever say this, but it's not going to be their mindset for 23-24, then they have to kind of approach it that way. Um, I do wonder – we we talked about this a little bit with the McConnell situation. If if you know, Heald is really I, I think made. I, I don't want to say made a name for himself, but I, I think he's earned more respect across the league for what he did last year, just with the Pacers. Um, you know, becoming a uh, a great teammate and uh, you know a, a leader in a way uh, in last year's locker room and not only all of that but being one of the better shooters in the entire league which there's always going to be a role for somebody like that um, if if I'm healed and I'm uh, you know going to be in my 30s here um, I don't want to come off the bench either um, you know I, I want to go somewhere where I can have an, an expanded role and if the Pacers can't promise that to me then I'm probably looking elsewhere. But it, 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 again, kind of goes back to earlier in the conversation. Do you want a extension for somebody whose age does not line up with your core pieces? That's the question that um, Chad Buchanan and, and Kevin Pritchard and, and everybody in that Pacers front office is, they're going to have to come up with an answer before February uh, as far as that's concerned. Yeah, and I think it's hard for fans because so many fans love Buddy Hill and he's a hard guy not to love. I mean, just the three-point shooting, the you know offensive chemistry that he has with Tyrese Halliburton, the the fact that the locker room loves him so much and he's adored there and he's admired there. I mean, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow if you do make a Buddy Hill trade just for that type of team chemistry stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, you're it's, it's a business and you got to make the right moves for your team. But um, my last question for you, Derek, just want to kind of close it out because – we haven't talked a ton about Chris Duarte got traded after just two years here. And it felt like after year one, and this is a guy that was going to be part of this core. And then last year, the injuries really kind of held him back. And then so many guys at his position played ahead of him, Nimhard and Matherin specifically, even Buddy Heald. Thoughts on Chris Duarte's two-year Pacer career. And did you think that the Pacers, you know, made the right move by trading him at this, uh, in this offseason? I think it was the right move because I think it was a no room at the end sort of situation. You have younger and potentially more a higher ceiling players um, at the position than, than Chris Duarte. Um, I feel bad for Chris, Chris Duarte. The, the pick at the time made sense because the Pacers were still going for it with Sabonis and Levert and you had a veteran group and you thought, okay, yeah, he's 25. So what? We're ready to win right now. We're ready to make the playoffs right now. And six weeks into that season, you realize, yeah, this isn't working. Like, we we got to tear this down. Um, now, a lot of people were screaming from the rooftops, hey, you got to tear it down right now before the Duarte pick. So you can understand the frustration there. Um, I guess hindsight's a little bit 2020, but but your your boy Moody, if the Pacers knew then what they ended up knowing three months into that season, that's probably your pick or somebody like that, right? That you're going to build with and, and kind of grow with and, instead of Chris Duarte. But that's not Duarte's fault. No. Um, he had a great rookie season. Um, it was a lot of fun to watch. 
He was uh, a reason to watch that Pacers squad, which was mostly unwatchable uh, for good chunks of that year. And I, I still think that there's a chance him getting back with Sabonis, clearly those two had a little bit of chemistry and being in Sacramento, I, I, I think can can help him maybe get back to being the player that he was his rookie year. But I, I was really... Um, I was really put off by just the shot going away and yes, it was injuries and everything like that, but really guys, that, that was a, that was a pretty disastrous sophomore year for him. Um, it, it was not good. Um, so I'm hoping the best. He seems like a great guy. Um, I enjoyed watching him play when he was playing at a high level, but yeah, I, I do think it was time for the Pacers to, um, to move on. And, and that's not to say that I'm thinking that Obi Toppin is going to be prime Blake Griffin or anything like that, that the, you know, the Pacers are going to unlock him because <laughs> I'm kind of meh on Obi Toppin, but I, I it, that move makes a lot of sense to me where you're, you're trading again from a position of strength and helping a position of weakness. And um, also there may be some untapped potential there with Toppin that I, I think Duarte is probably pretty tapped out. His ceiling is probably the player that we saw his rookie year. Yeah, I honestly think it was a nightmare sophomore year for Duarte. I think it couldn't have gone worse. And yeah. there wasn't an opportunity to get his, his value back up because there's not an opportunity to really get him that much playing time. Obi Toppin, I do think, is uh, going to a scenario where he's going to be very rejuvenated. He's going to have the opportunity to play, excels in transition. It's exactly what the Pacers are looking to, you know, play fast. So I'm excited about that move. But, hey, Derek, as we wrap up, I really want to thank you for coming back on. We appreciate you. Uh, you know, hopping on and please tell everybody where they could find some of the awesome content that you're putting out. Yeah. So uh, at Schultz975 on Twitter, while that still exists, um, you can follow there. Um, also on threads, Derek at underscore Schultz. I guess we have to drop our threads now, guys. I don't know if you've started doing that or not. It feels weird to say that. Um, Mark Monteith, another great Pacers uh, media guy that was a, a Pacers writer for a long time. He and I rotate on um, IBJ columns. So essentially every two weeks I've got a new IBJ column. Um, so you can uh, catch those releases on Fridays. And then Mark is on, on the days where I'm the Fridays that I'm not doing it. Um, occasionally Indie monthly and then Corey and Schultz uh, with my old radio partner who now does mornings with Kevin Bowen on the fan uh, Monday nights at seven 30 Corey and Schultz.com. And we got, you know, podcast channels just like this and um, YouTube and, and all that good stuff on there as well. If you want to check that out, but I appreciate you guys having me and uh, congrats. Thought hope you get some sleep, man, before the season Monday. starts. Cause it's, uh, Monday. you know, it's a little bit of a rough road here for the first like eight, 10 weeks. <laughs> Thanks again. Keep up the awesome work. And Hey, we look forward to having you back on. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.